Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Um, I believe today is going to be um, incredible. How How many's faith is high in the room? How many people are in the room that are believing God for something amazing? Okay, no, I don't think, hold on. I don't know if I believed you just then. Come on, how many are faith-filled and are believing that you are on the cusp of God doing something great and radical in your life? You know, I have found in my life, in my walk, in my journey with the Lord that our faith often dictates whether or not we get the miracle or not that we're believing for. There are plenty of people who hung around Jesus, who touched Jesus, who sat with him, who ate with him, and didn't receive a miracle. And there were other people who were in his midst who somehow tapped into the realization of faith, and they got the miracle, and they received the miracle. Amen? Look at somebody and say, it has everything to do with your faith. Look at somebody somebody else and say, it has everything to do with your faith. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8 through 20. It's a little bit lengthy, but it is pretty much the only text we're going to go through today. So I want you to open your hearts as we open the word this morning. Father, we thank you that we, as we open the book of life, we thank you that your word will come forth in power. It'll come forth with conviction. It will change and transform lives, Lord, and it will catapult people into their destinies, into the purpose that you've called them to, and it will bring this church to the place that you want to bring it to. Influential, Father. It may seem small now just to see, but Lord, we thank you that even in the spirit, roots are taking place with that seed. It's growing up to be a huge redwood that, that the, the people of this city will come and, and, and be able to nest on its branches as a result of what you're doing in this place. We love you and we thank you in advance. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to begin reading. And it says this, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is it your heart is grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now let me just pause there and park there for just one moment. Let me give you a little background of this scripture that I'm reading. Back in those days, um, actually still these days, depending on where you live (laughs) and what culture you're a part of or what cult (laughs) you're a part of, uh, they had more than one wife. Some of them had many concubines. As a matter of fact, Solomon, I don't know how he did it. I struggle with having one wife. He had 700 wives. I don't know how he could afford that. Uh, God named them females for a reason. Males with fees. Females. They cost a whole lot of money. Well, Elkanah was the husband of two wives, and his favorite wife, the one that he clung to or loved the most, her name was Hannah. Everybody say Hannah. I might be in trouble after this service. Her name was Hannah. Hannah was barren. Everybody say barren. She couldn't have a baby. Her womb was locked up. It was dried up. She was infertile. She couldn't have a baby. 
And so this is the reason why her husband's saying, hey, look, why is your countenance so down? I know that you're believing God for something. I, I know that you want a baby, but aren't I better than 10 sons? And as we read on, it says this. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, who was a priest, he was sitting on the seat by the, door, by the doorpost at the tabernacle of the Lord. In other words, he was the priest at the church. And she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said to the Lord of, to the Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me. Somebody say, remember me, Lord. Come on, I want you to say it with conviction. Remember me, Lord. And do not forget your maidservant. In other words, don't forget the promise that you've made me. But I will give your maidservant a male child, or but, yeah, but will give your uh, servant a male child, then I will give to him. In other words, she's saying, hey, Lord, if you bless me with a son, I'm going to return him to you as a prophet of the Lord. I'm going to dedicate him to your work all the days of your life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Then I will give him to the Lord. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her, watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. In other words, she was just moving her lips. She was in anguish of soul. She had ran out of prayers. She prayed every prayer that she could cry. She cried every tear that she could cry. And now her mouths are just moving without words because she's just lamenting to the Lord in her heart. And he said to her, Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away the wine from you. But Anna answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. In other words, I am desperate. Somebody say, I'm desperate. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief, I've spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said to her, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then she rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, your God, before the Lord God and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah, her husband, knew Hannah, his wife. Now, he already knew her, so that word knew doesn't mean he knew her with his mind. He knew her in a different way. He got to know her a little bit better than he already did. He knew her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Anna conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, which would have been the greatest prophet of their day when he was born, saying, because I have asked him from the Lord. I want to highlight this one text. And that text is verse 13 and 14. It says, now Hannah had spoken in her heart only with her, only with her lips. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Today, I want to minister from the subject called The Sound of Awakening. The subtitle is Desperation. Everybody say desperation. desperation. Now, as I've both given you the context and the scripture of this, I want to point out a couple of things. First, I want to point out the fact that a lot of people think that the word desperation just means that somebody is in desperate need of a certain answer or a certain financial breakthrough or a miracle. But I want to I highlight something about desperation. Desperation actually has a sound. As I was asking the Lord, I was 
sitting in my study. I don't remember if I was in my office uh, here or if I was at my study at home. And I said, Lord, give me a context for this, how that, that, that desperation actually has a sound. And the Lord dropped this scripture into my heart. And I have felt like this many of times. And I think there's a lot of people in this room that have probably felt like this at one point of your life or another, where you have cried all the tears that you have, could cry, and you've prayed all the prayers that you can pray. And now there's this sense of desperation for God to change that thing in your life that doesn't seem to be changing. That could be an addiction for you. That could be an anger problem for you. That could be an issue within the context of your marriage. That could be an, an extreme problem that you've been facing for years and years and years. And that thing that you have prayed and prayed about and cried and cried about doesn't seem to change. As a matter of fact, not only does it not change, but it seems to get worse. Well, Anna was in this place of desperation where her heart cry was, Lord, if you don't do this in my life, I don't know what I'm going to do. And most of us, as a protection mechanism, we do one of two things. We stop crying, but we not only stop crying, but we stop praying for that thing that we once believed God to do in our lives. I'm at a place in my life where I am desperate for God to do something specific. Amen? How many are in a position in their life where they are ready for God to change and ship something in their lives, and only God can get the credit for it if it gets done? Amen? The sound of awakening. So as I begin to think about this sound of desperation, I want to highlight a couple of things that I think that we need to do. If we are going to see revival, the reason I didn't use the word revival, I used the word awakening, is because I, I really believe that that word revival is really being played out right now. And I really love that word. But I think it's really old-fashioned at the same time. So I wanted to use this word awakening. Although I'm going to be ministering to you from this text, and I hope that it touches you and resonates in your situation, I feel that it's applicable for where we are as a church. Come on, somebody say amen to that. And there's a couple of points I want to make if we are going to get from God what we're looking for and what we're believing for, there is something that we have to do on our part. You've heard me said many times that there are people who have the type of mindset, well, God, if you were going to do this, you're just going to do it, and I don't have, to ha I don't have any part in it. That couldn't be further from the truth. If you read throughout the scriptures, there was always a partnership when Jesus did a miracle. And that, that same underlying statement again and again and again would be found throughout the gospels. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you believe I'm able to shift your life from A to Z? Do you believe I'm able to heal your sickness? Do you believe I'm able to heal those blind eyes? Do you believe I'm able to deliver your daughter of that demonic oppression? Do you believe? So there's a part that the believer pray, plays in the miracle that God wants to do in your life. And one of those points are, we have to pull down heaven. As a church, we cannot sit around and wait for some pie in the sky. We have a part to play. And, and when we sit here in, in, in the service and I say, lift your hands, that in its very posture signifies us pulling something down and accepting something from God. Far be it from us if we gather as a people of believers, as a church, and come before the throne of God and not believe God to do something radical in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. I just was pausing just for a moment because I was thinking about two things. I was thinking about your reaction, number one, whether or not you were believing what I was saying. But number two, I've been thinking about how Zoe has been... Uh, she's learned to manipulate her daddy quite a bit, and nobody's taught her to do that. 
I've been thinking lately how um, she comes up to me. I'm on my way out. I'm 10 minutes late to a meeting or I have to be at work at a specific time. I'm running behind. And she looks at me with those puppy dog eyes and she lifts her hands up and says, up, daddy. And she knows every time that she lifts her hands up and says, up to daddy. And she does it. And she's one of those, she's not just merely looking at me. She's peering into my soul as she's looking at me with those, have you ever seen the dog commercials where the dogs are being abused? And I switch the channels because they get me every time. You know, start to pull out my credit card. You know how they get you. And they play the old Sarah McLaughlin song, Arms of an Angel. Well, my daughter has got this down pat. She looks at daddy. She lifts her arms knowing that daddy is going to pick her up. You know what's sad to me is we're, we're filled with, churches are filled with people who lift their hands and they call on God, but don't really believe that God is able to pick them up from where they are to where they need to go. And there's so much that God wants to release in every single one of our lives, in our families, in this church, but we must pull heaven down and position ourselves to receive from God. I hear people all the time, and forgive me if you said this, I probably said this when I was living in my unsaved days, in the drug and alcohol abuse days, I would say, I don't have to go to church because I have God in my heart. Has anybody ever heard that from a family member or a friend? And I would agree with them. God does dwell in your heart, but his, there's a special presence when you get around another body, around a large body of believers who are believing God to do something amazing, it, the presence is different. The atmosphere is different. And as, when we come together as believers, we must pull on heaven if we're going to get heaven's results. Amen? So don't come to church casually approaching God because casual postures get casual results. I refuse to ser serve a cold church. I cannot serve a cold church. And we as people have to light the flame again. We have to put coals on the fire. When you see me pacing back and forth, it's not because I'm feeling glory. And I tell you guys this all the time. What you're seeing your pastor do is throwing coals on the fire. It's because I know I, I'm putting myself in position to provoke heaven. I'm giving God an excuse to look ascension's way, right? And when you're praising God come Sunday morning, you're walking back and forth or you're praying or you're just saying, Lord, I love you. You may not feel anything at the moment, but I'm telling you there's something happening in the spirit realm and you're causing heaven's activity to begin to swell. And that's why I'm always encouraging you guys. Come on, let's press in. Let's press in. This past Thursday was worship night. It was one of the most extraordinary Thursday nights I've ever been to. There wasn't one person in here that wasn't bent over and weeping and groaning before the Lord because we're, we're beginning to get it now because we realize that if we push hard enough, it's not that God just honors us because he sees us weeping and wailing. He's saying, that's a people who's hungry for my presence. And the Bible says, those who are hungry will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness righteousness would be filled. So God, far be it from us that we come to church just to have a gathering or just to have a service. Let us be a people who come together expecting a move of God like he did in the days past. Amen. And what are we after? I've been asked, I've been asked that as a church, what am I after specifically? I've had to question myself. And you know, I got a glimpse of that sound that I'm after this past Thursday night. 
And it's a sound of weeping people that are groaning, who are hungry for more than just church's average, who's hungry for more than just three worship songs, a tithe and an offering, and and a little pompous message, who's going to make my flesh feel good and go out and leave the same way that I came in. I'm tired of those kinds of messages. I want to posture myself where I pull down heaven and get all that God has for me and walk in the fullness of it. Amen? How many want to walk in the fullness of what God has for them? What are we after? I wrote this down. A sound that comes from heaven's heart, that moves heaven's heart, and God is looking for hearts to move heaven through. Did you hear that? God is looking for a sound that moves heaven's heart, and God is looking for hearts to move heaven through. Amen. We have to posture our hearts before heaven and not just on a Sunday morning. Amen. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. Don't let go. If you have been believing God for something in your life, even when it doesn't look like God's going to do anything, you hold on. I I, I heard it. I'll leave that for for later on. I'll go to number two. I, I got something special for you at the end. Number two. If we are going to get heaven's intentions and heaven's attention and heaven's results, you have to be, I have to be relentless. Everybody say relentless. If Hannah had that passive approach, think about it. Her desire was to have a baby. And no, though you may not be a woman, you may be a male, but we are all carrying destiny and the purposes of God on the inside of us. We are all carrying something or somebody maybe in here where a dream you thought has died, or maybe you have a certain desire that you prayed as a little kid, but because you didn't see God move in your life in that regard, maybe you gave up. Whatever that is, don't let the gender discourage you. The fact is that we are all pregnant with something in this room. Some of you are pregnant with a ministry. Some of you are pregnant with God wanting to birth a healthy marriage through you. Some of you have a career change that's up on the horizon. Some of you are on the brink of about to receive and about to receive your deliverance from drug or alcohol abuse or whatever it might be, whatever that gnawing thing in your life has been. Many people are in here who are on the brink, and the word of the Lord this morning is if you hold on just a little bit longer, if you press on a little bit more, if you keep on praying, if you don't stop your fasting, you don't stop your tenaciousness, if you don't stop your relentless pursuit of what God has for you, and you lay hold of the horns of the altar, God is going to break through and give you that miracle. Amen? Come on, we have to be relentless. I want you to imagine this. What if Anna would, have, would not have taken the desperate approach? A lot of us, we, we, we think of that word uh, as desperate, um, as being a bad thing. Come on, don't let, them, don't let them disturb your attention. Just like Jesus said, forsake not the little children. They're okay. Think, think about if she would have taken up a passive approach before God. God's will was to give her that blessing. God's will was to impregnate her with one of the greatest prophets that would have ever lived. But if she would have taken a passive approach, she would have never received her miracle. There's a lot of people I see Christians all the time, I'm believing God, and when they tell me they're believing God, they have this frown, and they look like they have a smile upside down. It's like, do you really believe, though? Are you really believing that God's about to break through in a certain area of your life? We have to be relentless, and we cannot approach the throne of God casually Amen. What is happening in your life? What is in your life? I want you to question that. I want you to think about that for a moment. 
What's in your life that you desire the most that looks like it's just not going to happen? Think about that for a moment. What's happening in your life that you think is not ever going to happen? You've been praying. You've fasted over it. You've prayed as many prayers as you could pray over it, but it doesn't look like heaven is ever going to move on your behalf. And there's many of you who have a date with destiny. And, and I want to encourage you. I'm, I'm going to say a, a few, thus saith the Lord's in here. Amen? This morning, during this message. But I want to I tell you, don't accept that that's God, God's answer just because it's delayed in your life right now. Just because it's delayed, just because it's held up, just because it doesn't seem that it's come to pass right now, God is going to break through if you don't lose your relentlessness. Amen? What is it? Is it a miracle in your body? Is it a miracle in your finances? Maybe it's a miracle in your marriage or in your relationship. Maybe it's that birthing of a new ministry, as I, as I mentioned before. Maybe it's a restored relationship. Maybe it's salvation for a loved one. Maybe you've been believing God, God, save this loved one of mine. Save my cousin. Save my aunt or my uncle or my family member. Whatever that miracle is for you. Maybe it's something that only you and God know about that you've been just pressing heaven about and it doesn't seem like heaven is answering and it seems like brass every time you pray. Be relentless. Look at somebody. I want you to nudge them a little bit and say, be relentless. I all too well know what it's like to have unanswered prayers. I've been thinking lately and I was thinking, uh, I think it was, Saturday, maybe it was at the end of the day, Sunday. I can't remember. My days are kind of blending together. I've been thinking about how the Lord moved me to start this church. Can I be open with you this morning? And I was thinking about how many times God spoke to me about starting this ministry. I couldn't read a few passages without running across a confirmation. So as I was serving there for a year and a half, two years, I think at that point it was about a year and a half, um, at another church I was an associate pastor, and the Lord began to speak to my heart. And so I went to the senior pastor, and he's a good friend of mine, and um, I asked him for a sabbatical. I wanted to take two weeks away. I wanted to tuck away. I wanted to hear from God. I said, Lord, I need to hear from you because, and I knew the Lord was speaking to me for a reason because I was fat in soul. Have you ever been fat in soul? What I mean by that is everything was going right. I know that doesn't happen for many of us oftentimes, but for me, that's what it was. I'd paid the price for a whole lot of things. Business was going perfectly well. Lord, don't touch my finances. Everything's going perfect. Ministry is going great. Great. I'm, you know, I'm the associate pastor. I'm still able to, to function in my giftings without all of the responsibilities that entail pastoring a church. So I was really fat and sold. Business going great. Ministry was going great. Couldn't ask for more. Family was going great. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to nudge my heart. I was thinking, you know, maybe five years from now, Lord, I'm good. Just let's, let's not do this right now. But as I took that sabbatical, there wasn't one day that went by that did, God did not confirm that I was supposed to start a church and plant a church. So you would think about all these confirmations that God has given me, speaking to me over and over again, that God would have moved right away. I tell you, this is the absolute truth. I thought the first service was going to be a great awakening and a great revival. As many times as God had spoke to me, and I don't even want to say that he provoked me. I want to say he harassed me is more the word. 
to start this church. And so I, I had great anticipation that God was going to move mightily. And so we got through the first service, and there's a lot of great things, I think, that happened. A lot of amazing things. I think for the past 14, 15 months, a lot of cool things that have been happening. But it's still not everything that God had put in my heart for you guys and for us and for this entire church, right? Because we're family, right? There's still things that I'm believing God for that I haven't seen yet. That first week, I probably got one of the worst news that a father could get. And I won't tell you the news, but it was enough and I am pretty thick-skinned. I have a lot of grit, as Mo mentioned earlier. The news that I had gotten, I almost couldn't find the words to come and preach that next Sunday. Many of you didn't know it. I seemed like I had it all together, but I had to be drugged to that pulpit. It was such devastating news. It brought me to my knees. Just a couple weeks following, about $10,000 worth of equipment was stolen, and and uh, after 18 years of being in business, never had I had anything do, uh, done like that to me before. I've never, never experienced that. And so I said, Lord, I'm thinking about revival, and I'm, I'm seeing the opposite happen here. I'm like, Lord, are you sure you didn't miss the mark here? And so I know what it's like to relentlessly pursue something off of solely a word from heaven and to keep pursuing it and to not let go and to keep moving forward no matter what the situations look like. And so recently, I'd, my heart began to move. Um, I was watching YouTube, and in 1995, there was what was called the Brownsville Revival. I don't know why. It hadn't been spoken about in years and years. It's been 20 years now. And uh, for some reason, I ran across it on YouTube, and I was listening to this, these old worship songs by Lindell Cooley, who was the David of that revival. He was that sweet psalmist. He was an amazing worship leader. He still is. And I began to listen to this music, and all of a sudden, my heart began to get awake, and I began to dream for this church again. I began to redream and rethink up in a godly way with my holy imagination of what God could do with this ministry if we were to posture ourselves in the right way. And so long story short is, is I went to this conference. It popped up as I'm watching the TV, and I'm just days before, I'm watching these YouTube videos, and here this is, this anniversary, and they, 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 they have a conference. They hold a conference called Light the Fire Again. And rarely do I travel, and rarely do I even go to conferences. I don't discourage people from going to conferences, but I, after 18 years, have been pretty conferenced out. <laughs> I've been to more conferences than I'd like to admit, probably thousands, if not hundreds, and um, so I said, Lord, I really hope you have something there, but there's got to be something special in this conference. And so I reluctantly yet expectantly went and I go to this conference and it was radical. And I want to show you a picture of what the conference looked like. I, I was able to capture a really, a really neat photo with all these people's hands lifted. There was about 10,000 people and you can put that, that up on the screen for them to see. This is about 10,000 people uh, in Pensacola, Florida, where the outpouring happened just down the road, maybe 12, 15 minutes away from the actual Brownsville revival where that actually happened. And this revival went on for five years. But I'm at this conference sitting on the side of the stadium. And so this thing is about four days long. It went from Wednesday to Sunday. And so, uh, so Saturday night or Saturday I'm talking with the guys. We need to leave the next day. It's a seven hour drive. And I got friends who are pastors telling me they're taking jets out. I'm like, can I get a ride? They're flying past me, waving in the car. They're asking me if I'm going to stay through Sunday. And I said, listen, I can't stay. We drove up. I drove up with my associate and some friends of mine. So we're going to make our way down, seven-hour drive. We're going to wake up at you know, 5 a.m. in the morning, which we did. But the, the night before on Saturday, 
I started praying and the Holy Spirit nudged my heart. And he said, I want you to go to Brownsville. I want you to go where this happened. I want you to go to the grounds. I want you to, I want you to believe me for something. I have something special for you there. This is what I'd been wanting to tell you, you and Benjamin. And so we go to Brownsville and it's seven o'clock in the morning. And I go onto the grounds. I immediately just feel the presence of the Lord. And this is what Brownsville looks like. This is the front of the church if you haven't seen it. Now, if you don't know what Brownsville is, I, I highly encourage you to look up what happened at this revival. Who has heard or even seen or does anybody know about the Brownsville revival? I want you to raise your hand up high. I want to know how many people I have to describe this to. It was extraordinary what happened at this revival. In 1995, there was a pastor by the name of John Kilpatrick. He had been praying for, for revival for about two and a half years. He, was, he had a healthy church. There was about 1,700 people there on a Father's Day morning. He has a guest speaker come in. He said, I didn't even want to get up to preach that morning. He had just lost his mom. And Steve Hill comes up to preach. He's a, an evangelist who was familiar with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit down in um, Panama. Was it Panama? It was um, the great Argentine revival. That was where it was. And so he came there to preach. And for five years, night after night, this sanctuary was completely full. Can we see a picture of that sanctuary? The sanctuary is absolutely full to capacity. I've seen a video, and the sanctuary was filled with 2,500 people in 58 seconds, completely filled to capacity. So night after night, the glory of God fell. People's bodies were healed. People were awakened. There was this groan. They, they couldn't even continue in the messages. So night after night, can you imagine night after night? Can you imagine us holding services like this, filled to capacity, night after night for five years straight? There was a groaning. People flew in from all over the world. Over 4 million people passed through the doors of this church in a five-year span, one of the greatest revival that Florida has ever known, that the, that, the, that the universe has ever even known. There's been great outpourings, but this has been a significant one. So I'm outside of that sanctuary. I'm like, Lord, why did you tell me to bring the guys here? Are we just going to dig up old wells? What are we going to do? So I encourage the guys, let's pray. Well, I brought Moses with me. I brought, I brought Joel with me, and I brought my brother with me, and... Um, Joel meanders up to the front door, and the front door is propped open by about eight inches. Now, you have to understand, if you've been in the church world for any length of time, if you go to a church on Saturday morning, you're not going to find anything but crickets there and locked doors and an empty parking lot. There was nobody there. And so I look, I think, and I look again, and I think I'm a pastor. The last thing I need is the cops to show up, and I get in trouble for trespassing. And so I'm just trying to hear from the Lord. And so we open this door, and we go inside. If you could show the sanctuary again. This is the sanctuary. Now, this is exactly what it looked like. All the lights were on. There was nobody in the foyer. There's nobody at the facility. There's no car in this big, grand parking lot. The worship music is played loud. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, I brought you to Brownsville because I want you to believe for a great awakening in Ascension Christian Center. I want you to dig up old wells. The door was open. The stage was set. Moses, raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. The worship was on. It was amazing. All of a sudden, we felt the Holy Spirit begin to fill the sanctuary. And Moses and I and, and Joel and my brother Daniel, we, we go and we fall on the altar. And I don't know how much time passed by, but as I begin to pray and we begin to seek the Lord, we stood up and we, you know, we held hands in a circle. And we begin to just pray for you guys and pray for ascension, pray for your families and praying for awakening in this church. 
And I felt the Holy Spirit say, I'm about to do something great in this church, and I need you to get the people prepared and prepare them for an awakening in their city. And so as I turned around, the doors are open. The the sanctuary wooden doors are open. If you've ever seen a Baptist church, it's kind of how it's set up. All the three pairs of double doors, they're opened as if somebody's there, but nobody had disturbed us. So I I go out of the sanctuary doors into the foyer, and there's a lady sitting in the foyer. She's just sitting there with a, a table that's set up. And I said, ma'am, I hope we're not in trouble for trespassing. Forgive us. She says, how in the world did you get in here? I said, well, I got an idea who let us in. I said, I hope this is okay. She said, well, you guys aren't supposed to be in here, but I'm glad. I've seen you guys were praying in there. We, we, we didn't want to disturb you. She said, there's been nobody at this building I just got here and opened up these doors. This front door should not have been opened. I said, well, ma'am, well, who put on the music and who put on the lights and who set the sanctuary up? And she says, I have no idea. I'm the only one here. And I went out of this place and I wrung my hands for the next two days and Moses and I are left reeling in our minds as to what God was saying. When I went to this parking lot, this parking lot, they built all these great, imagine the money that went through that place during that time. It was packed to capacity just about every single night for five years straight. So they built all these buildings. Rebecca, when I went there, the the schools were overgrown. The hedges were untrimmed. The curbs where they had the overflow parking lot that they built was overgrown with grass and weeds. And you can tell that a great revival once rung there, but it had been just been unmanicured and unmaintained for all these years. And I did some math this past week, Mo, and I'm going to make a prophetic statement. I've looked crazy for this past year, so it's not going to, not going to mean a whole lot to look a little bit crazier, but I begin to do the math as to when this, when this revival stopped. And I'm not by any measure saying that I'm God's chosen one. There's a, there's many chosen ones that are called to start little fires all around central Florida. But I know this is that when the revival began to die down was in 2000. I had an encounter with the Lord in 2000. And all I can say is this, is that God is sending out laborers in the field. And I'm not trying to make this message about me, but what is it that God is calling you to do in this hour? What promises that have you been holding on to that you've, that you've maybe allowed to die or be tucked away? What's overgrown in your hearts, in your hearts, in your heart of hearts that it's overgrown and, and unmanicured and unmaintained? What is it that God is calling you to? Be relentless and pursue that dream again. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm believing for greater things. I know there's been some transitions here. I know there's been some things that are moving around. We move from one building to another, but I believe that this is the time. This is the time more than ever that we need to pray, that we need to seek God, that we need to fast, that we need to be tenacious, and that we need to move forward into what God has called ascension to. Number three, and I'm going to close in a minute, and I know we took a little longer. It's Moses' fault. We have to be thirsty. What are you thirsty for? Why do you come to church? Why do you seek the Lord? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for more of him? Are you hungry for more of him? I've quoted this earlier in Matthew 5, verse 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're not thirsty you will stay empty. You can be a believer and have an empty life. You can be a Christian and 
be Christless. You can go to church and your heart leave unmoved. He moves on the thirsty and he moves on the hungry. You know, there's lots of Christians who go to church these days, but there are only a few who want to see a real move of God. And you know what I have found out? I have found out, and I know this more now than ever after 18 years of this. I have found out why God can move on the other side of the street at the church over there, figuratively speaking, and not move at another location. It all has to do with how much thirst you have for him. Because he moves on thirsty hearts. He moves in hungry congregations. And here's what I was going to mention, what I found out. Is I found out that if you're not thirsty, God doesn't move. Not only that, but you can be a Christian and you can carry your Bible. You can seek the Lord. You can evangelize. You can have the bumper sticker. You can wear the watch. You can wear the necklace with the cross on it, with the crucifix and not have God moving. You can have all these accruedments on the outside, but have God and not have God moving on the inside of your life. It is sad, but true. Sounds like a country song I can write. And so we've been wondering, you know, why hasn't God been moving? And you know what? I believe that God is wondering, where, why aren't my people thirsty? You know, I, I, long, I long for the day that this sanctuary has more than three people in it come 10 a.m. I long for the day. We, we say we're hungry. We say we're thirsty and we're ready for a move of God. And consider this a healthy nudge. I'm waiting for the day that it's more than just the worship team and the pastors in the back praying for a move of God for your families. I'm waiting for at least 10 people to come through the doors and pace this place and bathe it in prayer and really pray for an awakening in our city. If we really want God to move, we ought to start moving. I long for the day that people want more than just a few songs and that message, like I said earlier. I long for the day when you break out the anointing oil and anoint the doorposts and pray for the city and pray that God will bring them in in droves. I long for the day that we will actually believe what the word of God says. Did you know that Peter preached the day after Pentecost and he goes into the streets and 3,000 were added to their number? I long for the day that we all, not one or two is filled with the Holy Spirit, but all of us are filled with the Spirit of God, where this service can't even be controlled by a list of service orders, where people are coming up and needing to testify the goodness of God in their life. I long for the day where, where cars are lined up because they know there's something special happening in this place, and the presence of God is pouring outside of the doors, and they heard about a person who got out of a wheelchair who had been bound in it for 30 years. I long for the day that, that, that when couples come here whose marriages are broken and they say, I don't know what it is, but when I went to that place, God began to do something in my marriage. I long for the day that when spiritual apathy is, 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 is a thing of the past, where we go there hungry and actually thirsting for him, and where we cry out to God, where I can't even get to a message, where you guys are crying out and weeping and wailing for a move of God. This is when we'll begin to see revival. It's when you get revived and I get revived, we begin to pull on heaven and see God do something amazing in our church. I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I'm hungry. See, so many times as I close here in just a moment, 
I see so many times that where people come wanting to be entertained, I grew up being entertained in the church. And many churches create entertainment to keep you. You know what I told God early on? I said, Lord, I will have no creative tactics to entertain people. If your presence doesn't show up and if it's not enough, you will not have me building this church. Because when his presence shows up, truly, I mean truly, and we haven't seen it yet. I'll let you know the day that we see it. I've heard glimpses. I've heard glimpses. Notice I didn't say I've seen it. I've heard glimpses. I heard a roar this past Thursday night of people groaning. I heard, I, heard, I heard a glimpse of revival that could possibly happen sometime soon. And, and people put it on the pastor. Well, let the, let the pastor do the praying. and let, let the move of the Spirit move through the pastor. Can I, can I tell you this? That it's actually your faith pulling on what's in me that's actually going to cause the revival to happen. It's actually your faith pulling on heaven, not just me, because it's not me. It's the Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on, stand to your feet. It's when we all take our positions as sons and daughters and pull on heaven and pull on the anointing of heaven. Like, don't come here just not expecting. Come expecting. Come expecting for the glory of God to fall. Last but not least. It's going to take a heart cry. It's going to take a heart cry. I want you to pray that with me as we just worship the Lord together. And as we close, I know I went long. But I pray, Father. I pray, Father, you'd, even by your Holy Spirit, even right now, you just begin to release a heart cry in your people. I know there's someone in here under the sound of my voice who is thinking this right now. You want me to believe for revival, Pastor? You want me to believe God just to move in a city or a region or a state? Like, what, what about me? Like, I have real needs. Like, I, I have a messed up family. I have a jacked up family. Or my, my finances are messed up. I, I'm a mess. Like, I'm a mess. Here's what I found in all the years is that when His glory comes... It solves all those problems. He oftentimes will not answer the prayers of our practical needs because we're praying and seeking the wrong way. He wants to give us the answer, but we're seeking him in the wrong way. The scripture says it like this. I feel the spirit of God. Whoever seeks his life to save it will lose his life. But whoever loses it for my sake, Jesus' sake, will find it. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.